0: I'll have to tell you, I love that song, and I love that song for this, that line, all my life you have been faithful. All my life he's been good. He's never disappointed me, he's never failed me, and he is worthy of our worship today. He's worthy of our gathering, he's worthy of our opening this book to read who he is. We're continuing through this book called the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. When I finished up last Sunday, the Apostle Paul was in a riot in Jerusalem. A mob scene had gathered around him, and they wanted to kill him. From our perspective, no apparent reason. They just wanted to kill him. He's being falsely accused. And last week when we finished up, the soldiers actually had to hold him up over their heads to try to get him out of the riot. So today I begin with the same verse that I closed with last week, Acts 21 verse 36. And the crowd followed behind him shouting, kill him, kill him. If you didn't know the context, if I hadn't already explained to you the context of this scene, you would think they're talking about Jesus, because that's what they did to him in Jerusalem. That's what they did to him. Kill him. Kill him. Crucify him. Crucify him. In this scene, let me ask you a question, church people. Are are you sure you want to be a follower of Christ? Are you sure you want to be a follower of Christ? Because the world's response to the Apostle Paul, the world's response to Jesus, kill him. Get him out of here. Jesus told us that his followers would get what he got. Hatred. And I'm afraid the American church still has not come to grips with this because our culture has been so protected since our beginning that we don't understand what most Christians and the rest of the world have to deal with. Jesus says, if you follow him, you're going to get what he got. Well, let me read it to you. John 15, 18 kind of sets up the foundation as to why they're treating Paul the way they are. Jesus says, if the world hates you, remember, it hated me first The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. If you belong to the world, they'll accept you. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world. And the world will hate you. If you come out of the world, if you come out of the world and connect yourself to Jesus Christ, the world will hate you. You see, Jesus' followers don't belong to the world. And the world will hate anybody who's not with them. If you go with them, you're okay. But if you stand opposed to them, you won't go with them, won't go along with them, you're going to get what Jesus has got. Paul is not with the world and they cry, kill him. He's being falsely accused. In fact, everything they're accusing him of, he didn't do. He's falsely accused. Kill him. Jesus was falsely accused. Kill him. Why? This doesn't make any sense until you come to grips with this truth. There are two spirits. There are two powers. There is a Holy Spirit and there is an unholy spirit at work around us on earth in the heavenly realms. What's going to happen to Paul in Jerusalem? The Jewish riot wants him dead. What about the Romans? The Jews gathered around the temple. They want him dead. Kill him. Kill him. In fact, they were trying to kill him when the Roman officer shows up and the troops carry him out of the scene. But what about the Romans? They're in charge, right? I mean, Israel's not even a nation right now. Rome's in charge, right? So who is in charge? Who is in charge? I touched on this last week. I want want to touch on it again. Who has the power to decide Paul's last day? Can the Jews gather and say, today's your last day, Paul? Can the Romans gather and say, today's your last day, Paul? If you belong to Christ, who's in charge of your last day? Who has the power to say, today's your last day? See the Roman officers trying to get Paul out of this mob when this happens verse 37 As Paul was about to be taken inside well, they're taking him inside just to try to save him as Paul was about to be taken inside he said to the commander may I have a word with you Do you know Greek the commander asked surprised aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4000 members of the assassins out into the desert Falsely accused, like Jesus, falsely accused. The Roman officer is surprised that Paul's true identity, he thought he was that Egyptian terrorist they've been looking for. It looks like the Roman officer is trying to save Paul from being killed. But Paul wants to address the crowd. Is that a good idea? I mean, shouldn't you just take the opportunity to get out and fight another day but he wants to address the crowd. Who's doing this? I'm going to keep saying this. Who's doing this? See, it looks like everything's out of control. But is everything out of control or is everything perfectly in control? Is this event from God? Has he assembled an audience? And now Paul's out in front? Next verse 39. He's been asked the question, aren't you that Egyptian terrorist? No, Paul replied. I'm a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus in Cilicia, which is an important city. Please, please let me talk to these people. The commander agreed, so Paul stood on the stairs and motioned to the people to be quiet. Paul stood on the stairs. Who's doing this? It's almost like there's this service that's been assembled and there's Jews and there's Gentiles and now Paul's up in front he stands on the stairs and motioned to the people to be quiet soon a deep silence enveloped a crowd how do you get a bunch of rioters to be quiet and he addressed them in their own language Aramaic why not just get out If you look at Paul, I mean, a few minutes ago, they were beating him to death. Why not just get out of this Jewish mob scene? Why would Paul want to address the very people that want to kill him? Paul is under the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit. He was called to preach the gospel to those people who do not know Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, he's got a whole bunch of them right there in front of him. He had a great audience of blind people. He's got a whole bunch of blind people in front of him. And Romans chapter 9 reveals his heart toward his own people. So let's pause in the book of Acts. I want you to understand why he doesn't just let the Roman officer get him out of the mob scene. Because he's a Jew and these people gathered around him are Jews. They're his brothers. Romans 9, 2. Paul says, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I'd be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. They are the people of Israel. Paul's proud of his heritage. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and he gave them his law he gave them the privilege he gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises and yet the jewish mob is what totally blind the mob scene that's crying out kill him kill him they're totally blind And paul feels compelled to turn on the light and tell the truth. He has this Holy Spirit thing inside of him saying, you've got to turn on the light. Tell them the truth. They're blind. They don't see. Paul then speaks to the crowd in their native language. Did you catch that verse? He addresses them in their native language. And when he starts talking their native language, Aramaic, he, he, it, there's a hush. They begin to listen. Before we open, as we open chapter 22 to read Paul's message to the blind, before I read it, know that he's addressing the Jews, but don't miss this, but there's now a bunch of Roman soldiers in the crowd. So as he's about to say this, he's talking to Jews and Gentiles. Verse 1, chapter 22, brothers, and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. Then Paul said, I am a Jew. Born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia. And I was brought up and educated here. I was brought up and educated here, right here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. And his As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs, and I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you are very zealous to honor God in what you do. I am a Jew. Which begs the question, why would the Jews want to kill a Jew? Jesus was Jewish too. Paul brings up the name Gamaliel, a respected Jewish scholar. And then Paul reveals that he used to be blind. Listen, Paul's going to tell them, I used to be just like you. There was a time when I couldn't see either. He's going to tell them, I used to be blind. I used to be a persecutor of the way. Verse 4, and I persecuted the followers of the way hounding some to death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison. The high priest and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so, for I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me. Now Paul's showing his previous credentials. And by the way, this would have been almost, it's probably 20 years earlier. He says, I received... Credentials authorizing me to bring Christians from Damascus to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. I was like you, I was blind, I hated the Jesus followers. If you're a zealous Jew in the mob that day, you might look at Paul and say, He's one of us. Yes, there was a time when Paul was also blind to the truth, a hater of the way. He continues. Remember, this mob wants him dead, but he continues his story. You know what he's doing? You know what he's doing? He's he's revealing his testimony. There's power. Ladies and gentlemen, there is power in your testimony. Your testimony is the revelation of how God transformed your life, how He saved you. It is a revelation of God Himself. And He's simply going to say, I'm going to tell you what God did. If you want to be blind, be blind. But there's power in my testimony. I look around the room today, and if you're in Christ, you have a testimony. In the book of Revelations, it says you overcome Satan by word of your testimony. Because no one can refute your testimony. Because it's what, you might say, well, I don't believe it. I don't care whether you believe it or not. It's my testimony. I know my testimony. That's what Paul's about to do. Verse 6, he says, as I was on the road. By the way, he's, he's recounting an event 20 years in the past. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon. You know what he's doing? He's going Christian hunting. As I was on the road to Damascus, about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He doesn't even know who it is. Who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light, but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. And I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told everything you are to do. Paul is a Jew, a Pharisee from the strictest order of the Jews. And at this point, I'm going to tell you, I use some supposition at this point, I believe he has captivated this crowd. They are silent, and they are curious, and they are listening to Paul. Paul tells them of his supernatural encounter with Jesus, the Nazarene, the one that he is persecuting. I think he's got their attention. Remember, I'm going to say it again. It's not just Jews listening. The Roman soldiers are assembled, and they're hearing it too. Verse 11. I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. A man named Ananias lived there, and he was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law as well, regarded by all the Jews in Damascus. He came and he stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could see. a man devoted to the law, a fellow Christian, a brother in Christ, Ananias comes. You see, Paul is not bashing Jews. I need need to make something clear before we continue in his testimony. Paul refers to Ananias as a devout Jewish man. Well-versed in the law. Is Paul standing there bashing Jews? No. Is he standing there bashing the Jewish law? No. Why is he being accused? Why are they trying to kill him? Because they're accusing him of bashing the Jewish law of Moses. But he's not. He's being quite respectful of the law. Verse 14. Then he told me. Ananias referring to, talking to Paul. The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know His will. The God of our ancestors has chosen you to to know His will and to see the righteous one and to hear Him speak. To see Him and to hear Him. For you are to be His witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away. Calling on the name of the Lord. You know what Paul says? I saw him. I mean, no, there's very few people that could say that. I saw him. He's risen from the dead. I, I saw him. The righteous Messiah. And number two, I didn't just see him. I heard him. He talked to me. The one our ancestors told us was coming. I saw him. It's my testimony. I heard him. It's my testimony. This must have sparked some thought from the mob. Even while Jesus was with them, many of the Jews wondered. Go back and read the Gospels. While Jesus was with them, many of the Jews wondered, is he the Messiah? Is it it possible he's the one? Paul is telling the mob that he has seen and heard the Jewish Messiah, the one they've all been waiting for. He is a witness of the Jewish Messiah. Should he die for that? Should he be put to death because he saw and heard the Jewish Messiah? The Jewish Messiah instructed Paul to be baptized. Call upon the name of the Jewish Messiah for the forgiveness of sins. Do you you think they're listening? In this scene, he's given a testimony. It says the crowd has gotten very quiet. Do you think they're listening? Will the blind crowd remain in the darkness? Or or will he be able to turn on the light? Will they see? Next verse, verse 17. After I return. He continues his testimony. After I return to Jerusalem. Here's where it's going to get interesting today, folks. After I return to Jerusalem... I was praying in the temple and I fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem. What? What? This is Paul recounting an event 20 years previous. Hurry, leave Jerusalem. Why? For the people here. And I'm going to insert something. The Jewish people. The people here, the Jewish people won't accept your testimony about me. This is his recounting of 20 years ago. Jesus says to him, Paul, hurry, leave Jerusalem. The Jews in Jerusalem are not going to accept your testimony. Don't read over this clear instruction because this is where we're going today. Paul has received a clear word 20 years ago. The Jews in Jerusalem won't listen to you. Leave Jerusalem. Now, he's just said that. I don't know how well they're paying attention, but I'm going to ask you a question. Are they still listening? The people here, the Jews, are they still listening when he says that? Because that's rather offensive. Is anyone believing this story of Paul? Remember, there are Roman Gentiles in the audience as well. Did Paul... So... Do you think Paul scheduled this event? Do you think he got together with all of his buddies and says, let's go to Jerusalem, we'll create a mob scene, and as they drag my body out, I'll ask to give a speech and everybody will sit down and listen to me. Do you think Paul scheduled this service? You know, I like to look at this as like kind of a spontaneous church service. Did Paul... Plan this assembly? Send out letters for everyone to come hear his conversion story? No. Do you think this assembly of Jews and Roman Gentiles is a random event? Do you think this is just chance? The result of an angry mob? Who's doing all this? Is God idle in this scene, disconnected, unaware, unconcerned, or or let me give you another option. God has put this entire thing together, every piece of this puzzle. Now, if you're in the middle of that event, you're probably not seeing that. But when you step back and see what God's about to do, what's about to be revealed, what I'm about to read to you, See, Paul has been told that the Jews in Jerusalem, that God told him they would never listen to the message about Jesus. I don't know how many times I read over that in my lifetime, and I didn't get it until recently. That God in Jerusalem told Jesus comes and tells Paul, hurry, leave Jerusalem. The Jews here are not going to listen to your message. So if he leaves Jerusalem and he goes to the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, and gives them the message, will they listen to him? Why? Why would Christians trust or believe a person who had previously persecuted and hunted them down? But here in Jerusalem, some 20 years later now, God's Word seems pretty relevant, doesn't it? Because 20 years after Jesus said the Jews in Jerusalem aren't going to listen, here he stands in Jerusalem, and they're not going to listen. Verse 19. Jesus has just said, leave Jerusalem. They're not going to listen. But Lord, I argued, They certainly know, if I go to the Gentiles, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. And I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. They know Jesus. Paul's talking about having this conversation with Jesus saying, oh Jesus, they know. The believers know that I'm their enemy. They know that I'm a hater of the way. Why would they believe me? They know. The believers know that I was there when they stoned Stephen. They know. They know, and because they know, the believers, the followers of the way, are never going to accept me, and yet Jesus says, Go. Just go. Just go. Leave Jerusalem. Now, I've got to tell you that it seems like the Jewish mob. Here, here's the whole purpose of today's sermon, so don't miss it. I've got to tell you that it seems to me, when I read carefully through this text, that the Jewish mob crowd is listening to Paul up to this point. They're listening carefully, speaking in their language. It looks like the whole scene has suddenly got attentive up to this point. But the next line is why I titled the sermon, What I Did to the Faraway Gentiles. Now, what's the previous verse? Jesus comes to Paul. And again, this is 20 years before. Jesus comes to Paul and says, hurry, leave Jerusalem. The Jews in Jerusalem are never going to listen to you. And he's now, 20 years later, telling them his testimony. So, I was told, get out of Jerusalem because the Jews aren't going to listen to the message. The next verse And I'm going to tell you, before I read it, I'm so happy that Jesus said these words. Jesus, not Paul, said these words. Verse 21, but the Lord said to me, go. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Go. They're not going to listen to you in Jerusalem. Go. Go. Get out of here. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened. They'd been listening until Paul said that word. What word? Gentiles. Then they all began to shout, Away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. They yelled and threw off their coats and tossed handfuls of dust in the air. Gentiles. He said the word Gentiles. I remember growing up in the church my entire life, and I remember I was, I was there's a lot of words. I call them churchy words that I didn't understand, and I was too embarrassed to ask somebody what it meant. Gentile was one of those words when I was a kid. Heard preachers talk about Gentiles and always wonder, wonder what they are. Little did I know that I was one of them. It just simply means non-Jewish people. And Paul, a Jew, says this. Everybody listen. He said, when I began my ministry, I'm in Jerusalem, and Jesus himself comes to me and says, hurry, leave Jerusalem. They will not listen to your message. Go. I am sending you, Paul, To the far away Gentiles. Do you understand the value of that sentence? You better. You better. Because those far away Gentiles are us. It's me. It's you. And it wasn't Paul's grand idea. It was Jesus' idea. The mob listened to Paul until he told them that God loved Gentiles too. No, he doesn't. That's not possible. They're unclean. We can't even go to their house, and they can't come to our house. You see, this is new to them, it's really new in the in the past gentiles had to convert to Judaism to become accepted by God this is new the gentiles can be accepted by God without becoming Jews yeah what that's not possible the Jews who had not met the Jews who had not yet met Jesus could not understand this new way Why? I mean, let's think practically. There was 2,000 years of Jewish precedent. The Gentiles were outsiders. There's no other way to explain it. They were outsiders. They were excluded from citizenship in Israel. They were foreigners to the covenant of Abraham. They were unclean, without hope, and without God in the world. And here Jesus comes to this guy in Paul, named Paul in Jerusalem and says, I want you to leave Jerusalem and go to the faraway Gentiles. Paul wrote about this Jewish cultural understanding of the Gentiles to a Gentile church in Ephesus. This is, this, uh, this is his new perspective but it explains our condition without Christ. Ephesians 2.11. In fact, this is probably good for everybody in the room today to focus on. I think it was in the reading a few minutes ago on the screens. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. In fact, I want you to do something. Humor me. It'll just go faster if you go along, okay? (laughs) Okay. I want you to say out loud, I used to be an outsider. Say it out loud. Because that's who you used to be. I used to be an outsider. You know what outsider means? Without hope and without God in this world. And God comes to a man in Jerusalem. And he says, I want you to hurry. Leave Jerusalem because they're not going to listen to me. And I'm going to send you to the faraway Gentiles. And I used to be one of those guys. Verse 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens. That's not a nice word, by the way. By the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days before Christ, in those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises of Abraham that God made. You lived in this world. Listen, this is the defining scripture. You lived in this world without God and without hope. I'm going to tell you what. You, you, wanna, you don't know what lost is? That's lost. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Nothing in your present and nothing in your future. Nothing and nothing. Why? Because you were a Gentile. Oh, thank God for verse 13. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Somebody say hallelujah. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once, once you were far away. I used to be far away. You need to get this. Church, you need to get this. I used to be far away. Say it out loud. I used to be far away. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near. How? Through the blood of Christ. Today, do you have any idea how valuable this window of opportunity to the Gentile world is? I'm going to say the average church person has no idea. Do you have any idea? Because I want to tell you. I want to tell you what this says. You were born in the window of opportunity of the Gentiles. I was born in a narrow, from eternity's perspective, I was born, you have been born in a window of opportunity of the Gentiles. Some people refer to it as the church age. It is the time of the Gentiles, a time in which the Jews have this veil, and Paul has been dispatched, and the message of Paul has been dispatched to the Gentile world, and you and I were born in that time window. Do you know what the value of that is? uncircumcised heathens godless lost without hope without god that was our previous condition you see gentiles were excluded from the family of abraham and the family of abraham simply means you're the children of god and i'm going to tell you if you're not a child of god you're lost Gentiles were excluded from the covenant. And without the covenant, you're lost. They are beating Paul. What's the scene? They are beating Paul for bringing up the greatest news that I have ever heard. Are you getting it? They are beating and trying to kill him for bringing up The greatest news. They listened to him until he said, What? Until he said, Go to the faraway Gentiles. And now they want to kill him. They are going to try to kill him for bringing up the greatest news I've ever heard in my lifetime. Have you received these promises from God? Are they yours? You see, he's trying to open their eyes so they can see. Ephesians 2.13. Let me ask you as I read this. is, Is this you? But now, Gentiles, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united. He did what nobody could do. He united both Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups had become one. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups, Jews and Gentiles, to God by means of His death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. We, we, are, the far, we are the faraway Gentiles. And we've been invited to join this family of Abraham. Everybody in the room today, listen. I want you to understand a simple truth today. That we were once without God and without hope in the world. We are the far away Gentiles. We are the lost. Foreigners of the covenant. Foreigners of the citizenship. We were never going to be the children of God. And here comes the message of Christ. And you have been, I have been invited to join the family of God. The children of God. This is is a gift of infinite value. Children of the covenant. Children of the promise. Yes, there is a window. Listen, listen, listen. There is a window of time that this will be open, and then that window is going to close. It's going to close. John 1 verse 11. The Apostle John describes the Messiah. He came to His own people. Jesus was Jewish. He came to the Jewish people. And even they, the Jewish people, rejected Him. But to all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become what? The children of God. To all. That means Gentiles, Jews, He came to the Jews, but the Jews rejected him. But if you'll believe him, if you'll receive him, he gives you the right to become the children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God himself. Far away Gentiles, you have been invited to come to Christ to become children of God. But you don't have to accept him. But I'm going to tell you today, if you reject him, you are forever lost. The church hasn't replaced Israel. I had some preachers tell me that when I was a kid. It's not true. The church has not replaced Israel. The church and the Gentile world have been invited to join Israel, not replace them. How much longer will God hold open this door of salvation to the Gentiles? Do you know? Does the Bible talk about it? This door that opened up. Hurry. They will not receive your message in Jerusalem. Hurry. Go to the far away Gentiles. How long is that door going to be open? Does the Bible describe it? Do you know? See, I believe the Gentile door closes when the church is raptured, caught up, taken away. That door will close. The Bible talks about the last Gentile. Do you feel the urgency of Scripture? The Bible talks about when the full number of Gentiles, when the last Gentile, comes in. Something's going to happen. There's a window that's been opened to the lost. But one day that window's going to shut. And if you're on the outside when it closes. Romans eleven twenty-five. 25. Paul is writing to a Gentile church in Rome. Are you with me? Here's what he says. I want you to understand this mystery Dear brothers and sisters, so that you'll not feel proud about yourselves, he's writing to a Gentile church. I want you to understand this mystery, you Gentile church people, so that you'll not become proud of yourself, you Gentile church people, American Gentile church people. Don't start feeling proud of yourself. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts. But this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. Then what? That door is going to close. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this is only going to last until the full number of Gentiles come to Christ. And so all Israel, what, what, about, after, what about after the door closes? What, are after, what about after the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ? And so all Israel will be saved, as the Scriptures say, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem, and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them. I will take away their sins. He says, I'm going to do that when the full number of Gentiles comes in. Do that to who? He's going to do that to Israel after the full number of Gentiles comes in. To the faraway Gentiles. Can I say this? I look at the room today and I'm going to say this. If you're the last Gentile, I wish you'd come forward today. Yeah. Somewhere in the world, when the full number of Gentiles, I assume there will be one last one, and when that one last one comes forward, something's going to change. All the nations of the world will be blessed. That's what God told Abraham not just the Jews, when when we became foreigners to the covenant, that means we're outside the promise. And what was the promise to Abraham? All the nations of the world will be blessed through you, Abraham, the first Jew. All the nations. That means Gentiles were going to have a season. They were going to have a time. Do you understand the significance of Paul's testimony that day in the mob scene? He tells them publicly. It's written down in the book of Acts. What? Hurry, leave Jerusalem. They won't accept your testimony. I want you to go to the faraway Gentiles because they'll listen. Because I'm going to open up a door, a window of time in human history. Romans 8 28. Or you are not a true Jew just because you've been born of Jewish parents. How do you become a child of Abraham? You're not just a, a true Jew because you've been born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart has been made right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the law, the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change of heart produced by God's Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Paul revealed all this to the Jews and they wanted to kill him. you understand what just happened? Paul spoke what I have just communicated and what was their response? Kill him. Kill him. But the Gentiles were listening. They wanted to kill the one that followed the one. Why do they want to kill him? Because there's two spirits. There's the spirit of God and there's the spirit of anti, against God. And they want to kill him. Satan doesn't want this mystery to be revealed to the Gentiles or the Jews. What mystery? Paul suffered greatly because he carried this mystery. What mystery? I find the mystery still in the church today. Most of his life following this Jerusalem event. Let's go back to the current state. Paul in Jerusalem making this final plea. Most of his life from this point forward he will be in chains. What mystery is worth? this cost do you know do you know what mystery is worth this cost Colossians 1 24 here it is I'm going to tell you the mystery won't be a mystery after I tell you I am glad when I suffer for you in my body for I am participating in the suffering of Christ that continues for his body the church God has given me the responsibility of serving His church by proclaiming His entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it's been revealed to God's people. What mystery! For God wanted them to know that the riches, God wanted you to know, He wants us to know, He wants the world to know, that the riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. What is the mystery? What's the secret? Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing in His glory to the faraway Gentiles. When Paul said that, they went crazy angry. Kill him. When he said that sentence, they wanted to kill him. But Paul didn't say. Paul didn't say it. Paul was quoting Jesus. Jesus said it. And I'm happy that those words came from Jesus. You know why? Kentucky is a, Long way from Jerusalem. To the far away Gentiles is us. So I'm going to ask you a question and we'll close. Does he live in you? In the room today, I'm asking you, does he live in you? And don't tell me that you don't know. Because if you don't know, he's not in you. Can you imagine the creator of the universe moving inside of you and you are unaware of his presence? The mystery is this, Christ lives in you. If he doesn't live in you, you're lost. If he does live in you, you are saved. The world will hate you if he lives in you. Did you hear me? The world will hate you. I didn't bring that up. Jesus did. if If he truly lives inside of you, the world will hate you. Or is this still a mystery to you? Everything I've spoke today is it still a mystery to you? You can honestly say I don't get it. Is it a secret? I close today with the verse I opened with two weeks ago. The verse I opened with today, same verse, Acts twenty-one thirty-six. And the crowd followed behind, shouting, "Kill him! Kill him!" Did you think this was going to be easy? you listen listening to that prosperity preacher guy on TV. Do you think it was going to be easy, this following Jesus? Because it's not in here. You made it up. Somebody made it up. If you go along with the world, the world will go along with you. But if he lives inside of you, you'll become the enemy of the world. They hated Jesus without cause. They hated Paul without cause. They'll hate you without cause. I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. It was about a month ago I was reading a a post from Jerusalem Post in the newspaper and there's a prominent Jewish rabbi that came out, and he's highly respected in Israel, and he came out and said something kind of stunned most of the religious folks in Israel, this Jewish rabbi, in reference to the the presidential or prime minister election that's coming up on April the 9th in Israel. And he was talking to a group of people, and he says that he believed the Jewish Messiah was coming before the election. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm not validating or dis- are not validating the, his comment. I don't know. I have had no such revelation. But this Jewish Messiah, this guy said that the Jewish Messiah was going to come. See, he, they're still waiting for his first coming. We're waiting for his second coming. He was coming before the election, and he quoted all these signs and that God had revealed it to him. I don't know. I don't know. But let me just hypothetically use that to close. What if He is? Are you ready? Even better, even better. Does the thought of His sudden appearing make your heart pound with anticipation, excitement, or dread and fear? Which one? I'm going to tell you, if He lives inside of you, if He lives inside of you, the thought of His coming is the most joyful thing you can, your heart can imagine. But if he's not inside of you, the thought of his coming might be the greatest dread your heart has ever imagined. And what separates the two? What separates the two? I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. I believe, Jesus, you are the Jewish Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are the Savior of the world. Save me. I bow my life to you. Is that you? Have you done that? Father, I pray in Jesus' name that whenever and wherever we face you, we face you with your spirit inside of us, your presence around us, your forgiveness upon us. Now open our eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. The invitation's open.